0: Hi, I'm Matt. I'm Rachel. And welcome to The Tim's Take, episode 43.
1: Ooh, are we going to do something for our 50th episode? We're getting close. A little party?
0: That's a A, big deal. (laughs) A
1: party? Maybe we're not quite at that level of party, but it feels like that's a significant thing. 50 episodes.
0: Yeah, that's... Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
1: It's been a long day for Matt, so he's really... Powering through to deliver this podcast to you all.
0: <laughs> oh, it might get ugly. I'm not gonna lie. Cause you just said all that, I'm like, I got nothing.
1: It well, was it
0: was it was a really excellent opening banter though.
1: We're gonna work on coming up with ideas for the fiftieth, but if you have any ideas,
0: Oh, that's helpful. Let's crowdsource the party.
1: Please let us know what we could do for our fiftieth episode.
0: We are still based on our release schedule. A while away. Like more than three months away from that.
1: Well, if it's going to be spectacular, we got to start planning <laughs> okay. now.
0: Email us at timstake at gmail.com.
1: Speaking of our email,
0: beautiful segue. You're welcome. You're professional.
1: We're getting better at this.
0: Yes, we have a
1: mailbag.
0: Didn't even have to insert the pre recorded one there. I will read the email. Matt and Rachel, I really appreciated your conversation on the blog post Pick a Hill to Die by. Quote blog crush lady, Hannah. (laughs) One thing I would be curious to hear about is what this looks like for discipline. Maybe to be more specific, what are behavioral items slash actions that you might be willing to let Oliver slide on versus feel the need to correct slash encourage slash discipline Oliver on. On an unrelated note, will there be a trivia episode that asks questions about previous episodes? I'm here for it, especially if there is a prize. I appreciate you both. Kind regards, Luke. Did did Luke just kick off the 50th anniversary? That's an idea, right? The 50th anniversary. Oh, gosh. (laughs) The 50th episode planning committee.
1: That's an idea if I've ever heard one right there.
0: (laughs) Take a note. Thank you, Luke. I think I did respond to Luke's email and just say I can't make any promises about trivia because that would probably also require listening back to past episodes because I feel like I wouldn't necessarily remember the interesting trivia points.
1: I think between a combination of notes and our memories of our time with Oliver, we could piece it together. All right. Well. Stay tuned.
0: Don't know how we would do that, but
1: we'll figure it out. That's
0: never never stopped us before. We didn't know how to podcast once, so here we are. What do you think about his question though? Asking kind of about behavioral hills to die on.
1: Yeah, it was a very good question. I feel like we're kind of just dipping our toes into the waters of discipline. Yeah. You made a comment maybe yesterday. About how Oliver really is starting to be a toddler these days, and that mm-hmm. he has some opinions about life and how things want to go. And he had that when he was a baby, but it was so we were so unsure of what he was trying to communicate. And now I very often know what he wants and does not want, and why he's crying, like very right. specifically. Like I want to be on the couch. I want that red block. Yep. Don't give me the blue block. And these kinds of things. So I think we're edging more that way. My initial reaction was the hill to die on, which means that it means a lot. It matters, yeah. Is any behavior that would harm himself or others.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: And the hill to die, meaning I don't care as much about it, is almost anything else. (laughs)
0: Okay here's mine I gotta share mine before you unpack that Because this is interesting I had the behavioral hills that I would want to die on Are relational ones So Mm -hmm. things around love and respect And kindness and generosity And those kinds of things I think those are really important and those matter Interestingly I then tried to think of a hill to die To answer Luke's question Which is also what things I would let slide And actually what I put was safety Really? Because And here's the example that came to mind. Oliver has loved being on the couch recently. One of the things he's started doing on the couch is standing on the couch. Now, we could make a rule in the family that we don't, we never stand on the couch. But I did think to myself, you know, that just maybe doesn't matter. And in fact, you and I are probably so safety prone that it's probably good for us to have safety not be one of the hills we die on and let him experience a little bit more risk a little bit more tumbling just feels like that could overall cultivate a healthier fuller childhood for him because our tendency is always going to be to like hold him back and not let him do things
1: right which is why i think like like anything that's truly harmful to him
0: i mean he was like almost clambering off the couch but then we stopped him
1: like we said no oliver don't
0: Okay, so what's an
1: example? Don't fling yourself off the couch.
0: Yes, I mean, I guess I don't... I'm not going to let him touch outlets.
1: Yeah, exactly. So there's... Yeah, there's still some discipline around that. I hear what you're saying, that that is maybe more fluid than our inclinations would be. Yes. But I definitely agree. Like, the harm to other people Mm -hmm. is the relational component. Yeah, Like, anytime it's impacting others and how they're being treated in any way, then... I'm going to be more hardlined about it. Yeah. I do think there's an interesting thing to talk about in a future episode. This would maybe be an interesting Tim's take, but there's a big discussion around discipline versus punishment. So, teaching versus punishing and the different ways that you try to mold behavior in the ways that you talk about them and handle behaviors that you don't want to continue. But we can talk more about that another time. Just a thought. Well, I'm working on
0: kind of the solitary confinement cell out in the shed, so it should be pretty straightforward.
1: That's also a good segue to our next take. Is it? Yeah. Why? Solitary confinement?
0: Oh, yes, you're right.
1: <laughs> People are like, where are we going with this? And is Matt okay? <laughs> I promise, folks, he's hanging in there by a thread, but he is.
0: (laughs) I am okay. Rachel's just running laps around me in this podcasting game. And unfortunately, it is the resource that I brought, so I'm responsible for summarizing it, which I think I can do because I have my notes. Yeah, today we are going to give our take on a newsletter. Well, it is, I don't know what you call like a... It's not the whole newsletter. The whole newsletter is called Parent Data. This is an email, like a particular, what do you call that? Do we have a word for that?
1: Like a chapter of a newsletter? Yeah, I know or something like right, that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, you get the idea of what it is. It's called Sleep Training Isn't it Bad. It is it bad its from Parent Data, which is a newsletter by the oft-mentioned Emily Alster on this podcast. She is a professor of economics at Brown University. She's written a lot around pregnancy and parenting. She has a book Expecting Better and Crib Sheet. Expecting Better is about pregnancy, Crib Sheet is about early childhood, and then she's just come out with a new one that neither of us know really anything about other than what she's shared called The Family Firm, which is about kids as they get a little bit older, how kind of how you run your household. So anyway, we always appreciate a lot of what she says, and uh, she really brings sort of a data-driven approach, and brings studies in, and is able. It's not she's not just someone who quotes studies, but I think analyzes them, which is one of the things that she's really helpful for.
1: I feel like the two there's two things we're two resources we're going to talk about in this next segment, and probably the only two parenting things we've really read and gone back to. So they're this is a good segment.
0: Oh yeah yeah right. So I, would, I almost had no idea what the second one was, but now I, I caught you up. You caught
1: up with me. So
0: here, let me summarize kind of this. We'll just call it an article for the sake of ease that she wrote. It, she essentially is talking about sleep training. And when she says sleep training, it is a stand in for basically cry it out methods, which is the idea that at some point you leave your child to literally cry it out as a way to help them sleep. So she says, quote, at its core, the concern from the opponents of cry it out is that your baby will feel abandoned and as a result, struggle to form attachments to you and ultimately to anyone else. She goes on to explain how some of this has stemmed from studies done in Romanian orphanages in the 1980s when kids were really tragically basically abandoned, and that a lot of sort of attachment parenting philosophy in some ways kind of flowed and began reflecting that, the sort of these kids who abandoned them were unable to form attachments with adults as they grew up.
1: And the particularly weird thing they noted about that study was these kids, like when researchers would go in and observe these orphanages, it was quiet.
0: Yeah, the rooms were quiet. The babies had stopped crying. So she just gives that as context. And then she asks, basically, does sleep training work? Which it seems pretty clear from studies and experience that, yes, it works.
1: Meaning What? what- does work mean?
0: Meaning that it improves your child's sleep. Yeah. So, some form of cry it out does, in fact, result in measurable improvements of sleep Di- to different degrees for different kids, of course, but on the whole, it seems to have a positive impact. She talks about the benefits. And in addition, obviously, to the child sleeping, particularly a significant one is that they reduce particularly maternal depression. So the benefits are both to baby and to parent. And then she goes on to talk about the fact that a lot of the concerns that cry it out opponents really bring up are theoretical. In other words, you know, the premise is that if baby is stopping, sort of stopping crying, if they are just sort of giving up, then that's in fact a reflection that this is the way they communicate. And you are ignoring the way they communicate. And there's no way that that can be healthy for attachment or healthy for that baby. And sometimes opponents will say, in fact, we might not see impacts of this until these babies become adults, at which point, I mean, her conclusion is that this is a theoretical argument and there's not enough studies to suggest it's bad or doesn't work, but also that we actually just don't have the data and the, the kind of studies to prove those sorts of theories would be so vast, and so we're left in the end sort of with additional questions. She says at the very end of the article, which I think, yeah, I want to spend some time with, you'll have to make a choice about this without perfect data. This is true of virtually all parenting choices. Blame the parenting researcher, she says. But it would be a mistake to say, for example, that not sleep training is the safest option. So that's kind of the conclusion. So you'd read this before, but I'm curious, kind of any initial reflections from you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great... Summary, I think I forgot about, yeah, some of the reasons or the criticisms of the cried out method, but then also kind of the counterpoints to it, the parent benefits it has. I found that super interesting to reflect on. And she talks about how like kids who are sleep trained are sleeping better on average even a year after the training. So kind of there's like long term success in this. Yeah, so overall, interesting to reflect on. Obviously, when I think I first read this or read about Cried Out Methods, it was before we had Oliver. So Matt and I read another book called Precious Little Sleep, which I think we've referenced before. we have definitely
0: referenced. I know I've linked to it before.
1: Again, one of the only parenting books we read before we had a kid and was super, super helpful in just framing expectations for us. Yeah. But now reading this back, After we've gone through a lot of it and even now as we're honestly still experiencing it. I mean, I just, I can only speak from personal experience, but I am a major advocate for (laughs) sleep training.
0: That's interesting. I, so I, part of why I wanted to talk about this article was because I actually found the experience of reading it pretty interesting because I realized I was reading something that we had already gone through. And as I read about the opponents, I was like, oh yeah, like there is a certain kind of internal logic to what they're saying. And even Emily Oster is saying, you know, we basically don't have data to prove or disprove kind of the almost philosophical (laughs) statements. And I realized, huh, this is an interesting position. I really didn't know that there was opposition. The Precious Little Sleep, I think, advocates a kind of like, a kind of cry it out, but doesn't really go, it doesn't dive this deep into kind of philosophical or theoretical arguments against it, does it?
1: I guess not, but they talk through, like, different variations. Like- yeah,
0: different variations, of course, but I, like, I read this and I was like, oh, I didn't realize there were opponents. Like, I just thought this is what, like, either you sleep trained, because I guess maybe I thought, like you're either willing to be tough enough as a parent or you just didn't were weak or something. I don't know what I thought. So, But it was so interesting. And one of the curious things I thought is, oh, yeah, like for the rest of our lives, we're going to be reading things that reflect on decisions that we've already made. And this is maybe a light one because overall, I mean, the article is quite positive about sleep training and would condone what we did. But inevitably, there will be things that we'll read where it will be like,
1: oh, whoops. (laughs) That was maybe not – I wouldn't do that with a second kid. Right. Yeah, I I see that. It reminds me – but I feel like culturally, though, I feel like you've experienced or must have encountered, like, the controversial nature of Cry It Out. Like, even just the other day, we watched an episode of Modern Family in which the one couple who has a baby – they're fighting amongst themselves because the one wants to cry, like let the baby cry it out. And the other one's like, no, I have to go to her. She needs me. She needs me to like be there and comfort her. And the other guy's like, no, like I, this is how we train her. This is how she gets used to it. Like that is a very big cultural.
0: Yeah. But like, discussion. even like even think about the comedy in that episode is premised on one of the parents being weak and like, like they are just not tough enough to go through this training, which I think is how I've, how I've thought about it. I did not know that there were theoretical opponents of cry it out based on like attachment style parenting, like attachment attachment theory. Like, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, I guess so. But in your lived experience, have you noticed any of that with Oliver? Because we have, so we have taken the approach in which Emily Oster describes as graduated extinction, which is when you come back to check on your baby at increasingly lengthy intervals and also an improvement. So this week Oliver's been transitioning from two naps to one nap. Mm-hmm. There was a particular day in which he did not want to go down for a nap. This was his only nap. I knew he was tired. He was in his crib and he starts screaming okay. instantly. And rather than just, like, keep going back in, like, as soon as he starts crying, which was as soon as I left the room, like, we eventually developed a plan that was very reassuring for me and your mom and you that we would give him five minutes. And then we'd go back in and say, hey, bud, it's okay. You're safe. I love you. Ten minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes. And then eventually he fell asleep. We go in. when he wakes up an hour and a half later and he is happy as a clam like totally at least seemingly again I guess that's where the data is missing right. but seemingly is like happy unaffected. child unaffected so excited to see us like doesn't seem like he's been harmed or our relationship has been yes. harmed in any so way So,
0: yeah to be clear I I have not experienced anything negative to date and actually I'm I was actually kind of less interested about this article than about my experience of reading it in other words, like this meta experience of ah. like, oh, this is a decision I've already made. Here's a debate about it. There are actually two sides. I didn't realize there were two sides. Like that's now an interesting place to be in. Like mm. like in other words, like the prep phase passed me by. I didn't realize I, I could have been prepping. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I... Yes, I see your point. I knew that this was controversial, so that's why I did not have the same experience in this. Area. Well, someone
0: did not tell her husband
1: that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's in the other, but I, I mean, feel like I'm it's sure a known it is somewhere. But that I must people debate this.
0: But again, maybe it's just a family culture that, like part of part of my family lore, is also that my mom one day just let me cry it out, and then I slept well from then on. So maybe I just grew up with that story. So I just thought, well, that's obviously the best way to do it. And, I, and I'm only partially damaged, so it should be should be
1: good. But it does take some resolve. Like for sure. You do have to kind of commit to a thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You do.
1: And so I get I get that to do something that takes some like emotional sacrifice on your part. And like it's not easy to hear your kid cry for an hour. Right. And to believe you're doing it for a proposed benefit, in which case I think is accurate, but then to find out potentially down the road that the the sacrifice wasn't worth it, would it would be painful?
0: Yeah, which maybe maybe we will. I but mean, I that's just life. Well, that's uh, and that was kind of like my second observation from this is just like the fact that we are always making imperfect decisions. Yeah, not in the sense of maybe. Maybe we were lucky into a good decision and something that's benefit. But like, I mean, part one of her conclusions is she is basically pro sleep training, but also like she's like we don't have all the data, and like we really don't have all the data on anything.
1: I feel like this particularly is a hard thing for you as an Enneagram one. <laughs> it, like, totally. I just yeah, life is full of imperfect decisions. But you, I mean, like crave all of the information to be uh, like, able to make your decision. You're right. right.
0: So now it's just, you know, I like to make this podcast about me as much as possible. So (laughs) I do like certainty. But I did also think like there's like going back to kind of cultural conversation. I feel like what we have done is we have moved towards saying that parents are making the best decisions for their kids. That's the way like we avoid sort of parental judgment Mm -hmm. rather than saying, you know what? We are all making imperfect decisions all the time. Like, those are two very different things. One is, like, rel- like this interesting kind of relativizing of, like, like you know your kid best. Like, only you can make. And it's like, well, actually, even then, like, we're all making, like, decisions that ha- might have all kinds of effects that we don't know about. And that's just the reality of parenting. I think that's a scary and humbling thing and also different than how we usually talk about parenting.
1: Yeah, I see that. We're really just making the best decision with the information we have. But that is different.
0: But sometimes this goes back to my first point: we don't even know that we don't have the information.
1: But the information that we have have in our orbit.
0: Yeah, 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 totally. But then it's like it's just wild. I don't know. Maybe this whole this the whole reason this resource is just because I was like processing the fact that I don't always know everything.
1: <laughs> well, this has been therapy with Matt.
0: And you thought we were going to talk about sleep training itself? I did.
1: I was already. I had all these comments.
0: I would love to hear more of your comments.
1: No, I think we basically touched on it. I, Yeah, I do feel like it worked really well for us. Yes, Uh, I I uh, will
0: totally co-sign that.
1: Probably, honestly, I mean, Oliver, I I do think, sleeps really well. I think a lot of that is his nature. I do think the sleep training has helped. But honestly, some of the biggest impacts have been the parental mental health. When he is screaming, your brain floods with, of a lot of things, hormones, emotions, adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to think clearly and logically. And to have something to go fall back on, some kind of plan and strategy of setting a timer yes, or whatever yes. has carried us through. Yeah,
0: there have been nights where having the timer was a saving, a total saving grace for sure. Yeah.
1: And so I I believe those benefits of just having less arguments between the two of us, having less like, what do I do? I don't know what to do because I can't think clearly through all this adrenaline. Like, I think those are some of the best benefits that we experienced. That's all.
0: No, that that was actually my third reflection on this article is that parental health being a significant part of decision making for parenting a child.
1: Yeah, it's Um, not insignificant at all.
0: Not always the most intuitive thing to do either. I feel like we talk about this a lot, and maybe it's unfair because the only people on this podcast are parents, and Oliver goes voiceless. So all the ways that he doesn't like our decisions, you know, he doesn't get to express yet. One day. One day, maybe. He'll have his own podcast. He'll be like, the real Tim's take. (laughs) (laughs) It's just going episode by episode critiquing. (laughs) But yeah, the fact that, like, not – I I mean – We've talked about this before. It's not about centering parents, but centering the family yeah. and the family includes parents. And so it's not just, I mean, sl- sleep benefits seem good for kids, but it's also about the impact of parents. Yeah. Thanks for letting me take that discussion in a whole direction you were expecting.
1: You're welcome. I'm glad that you've got to process some of that for yourself.
0: I mean, I still feel a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> with the idea that we're making imperfect decisions. Like we don't have all the data or all the studies. I'd much rather it was just a very clear path, but.
1: You're going to have to work through that for a long time. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it's, it's not just parenting. It's really everything. So, Hello, darkness, my old friend.
1: <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our third segment. Try to get you through this.
0: Okay. You want to set us up and what this segment is?
1: I forget what we're calling
0: it. It's Instagram Unposted.
1: Instagram Unposted. This is the first time we're doing this segment in which Matt... Very rarely actually takes an Instagram photo.
0: Yep. Almost never. But. All, I, all my Instagrams are basically Rachel.
1: My birthday. birthday my anniversary. anniversary. <laughs> but I do think there are moments that stand out in his mind that if he and he's a great writer capture of moments. So if he did post on Instagram, I think there are moments that have been left unposted. So this is a time for you to describe one of those moments.
0: Okay, so I've debated about how to do this, because what I've done is I have an image description, obviously, because it's an audio medium, and this image does not actually exist. It's just from our life. It's something that was uncaptured, so cannot be posted. Yep. Then I also have the caption for that image. I'm not sure which one I should present first.
1: I think the photo. The photo.
0: Okay. Here's the photo. Oliver is in a half-crouch, arm partially extended, dust flinging from his hand into the face of a nearby goat that needs a little bit of context we were just as of well when we're recording this earlier this evening we were at a brewery that is conveniently called goat house brewery where they have goats and oliver was literally doing this trying to throw dust i think because he was seeing other people feed them so anyway the image would be me maybe standing behind him trying to grab his hand as he throws dust so that that's the image here's here's the caption Rachel and I have been talking about not standing on the sidelines when mess is involved. That has left me with so many feelings. On the one hand, I love to be clean, and that is one of the best feelings. On the other hand, I want Oliver to grow up experiencing the fullness of life, including a little dirt. On the third hand, I feel completely confused about how I should feel that my son is so aggressive toward this poor goat. Hashtag Billy Goat Rough. <laughs> Hashtag Oliver the Carnivore. Oh
1: boy wow there's even hashtags of course I love it why did this particular moment stand out in your mind just because it recently happened
0: it's recency and just in part seeing and just being like why are you throwing why are you throwing and on the last episode we just talked about like mess and that and he was so dirty tonight. so
1: dirty today he had banana which Matt absolutely hates so that was probably contributed to like your disdain of the mess <laughs> that was all over maybe so And I was laughing so hard because we get home, we do a bath for Oliver, and Matt comes in. (sighs) Oliver, how good is it to be clean? (laughs) It was like you had just taken a 30-minute shower. Your relaxation at seeing your son finally clean again was tangible. Yeah. That's great. I love that. It's a good moment. It was a good caption.
0: Thank you. Hopefully you
1: all can picture it.
0: I was quite proud of my hashtag, Billy Goat Ruff.
1: We went and saw Jungle Cruise yesterday, and I'm feeling (laughs) strong Jungle Cruise vibes Strong Skipper
0: vibes. Well, thank you. Take that as a compliment. Well, that's a new segment. That's a conversation about a topic that was not actually the topic presented at the top.
1: And it's a mailbag.
0: And a mailbag. I I say we wrap it there.
1: Until next time. I'm Matt. I'm Rachel.
0: And that is your tin steak.